In the name of Jesus, Amen. Inside of all of those born of Adam, born of flesh, there is a deep and profound corruption in all of us. This is what we call original sin. It is inherited uh, from Adam, inherited from our parents at conception, the very moment of conception. There's not one second, one millisecond that we are without sin. And it is in us until we turn to dust, until the day we die. This corruption is deep and profound in all of our souls and our hearts. Now, there are two dangerous components of original sin. One is what we call concupiscence. And this is a lust, a deep desire, an affection for evil things is lusting after wrong things. So anything that the scriptures say, anything that the Ten Commandments say, we have like a magnet in us, uh, pulling us toward uh, everything that is opposite of those things, against it. So we lust after them. We, uh, our eyes uh, are attracted to the things that are sins in the eyes of God. So that's the first thing, that's concupiscence, this, this attraction and inclination and lust for evil things. The second thing is a spiritual ignorance that we all have in us, which means that we're incapable of understanding spiritual matters. On our own, we will never understand it. The natural man does not know. He cannot know the things of God. We are oblivious to the reality of the condition of our heart, the condition of our souls, because we can't understand how sinful we are. We're so corrupt, we cannot understand how sinful we are. On account of that, we believe naturally that I'm a pretty good person. That is in us, all of every human being. In other words, our condition is so bad that we think that we are good, that every human being in the world thinks, has this idea, he has no understanding of his, his soul, what his soul looks like, what the condition is in, that his heart is in such a corrupt form that he thinks that he's not bad, but he actually thinks he is good. <clears throat> this seems paradoxical, like it doesn't make sense. Uh, so I'll give you an analogy to kind of explain what this is, that we're so bad that we think we're good. So consider this. There are two men who are driving their cars and uh, they're going a significant amount of speed and they get to an intersection and they're, I don't know, texting and not paying attention to the light or something. And they both go through the intersection and they have a head-on collision. They're both ejected from the cars through the windshield. It is a horrible, gruesome sort of thing. The cars are on fire. It's a terrible accident and all these sort of things. Now, the first guy, he is screaming in pain. He's in agony. He is aching. He has terrible pains all over his body. And uh, he, he sees his condition his, uh, that he... That he um, He's covered in sores and wounds in this way. Now, the second man, he has no pain at all. He's been ejected from the car. He's tumbled around and he doesn't feel anything. 
And the reason he doesn't feel anything is because he is paralyzed. He doesn't feel the injury that he's had. Now, the question is, which one of these two is in worse condition? Which one needs more help? Is it the one who feels his pain or the one who is so injured that he cannot feel his pain? Is it the one who feels injured or the one who doesn't? They both went through the same event and one does not feel it. So the same then goes for us for our soul. Our condition then is so bad, but we cannot feel or recognize it. We cannot recognize the condition we're in. We're so corrupt that therefore we then think we are good. It, you, you cannot do this. You cannot equate paralysis with health. You can't say, well, look, I don't feel anything and therefore not feeling anything equals good. That means I'm healthy. No, in the same way, numbness and hardness of heart, not feeling sin does not mean you are innocent. Not feeling sin or guilt over it means that you are in, in worse condition. Do you see this? The real problem is this. <clears throat> Because we think we're good, this whole thing when it comes together, because we think we're good, we feel then like God owes us, like he owes us something. That we can merit or earn or win something from the Lord Jesus. That we deserve something more from God, something better from him. When we don't get it, then what? Then we say that God, God is unfair. He is unjust. He is not doing the right thing. He is mean. He is angry. He is a bad God. Because what? I deserve better. I don't deserve this. So when bad things happen to people, the question they ask is, why do bad things happen to me, a good person, good people? And, and so the assumption is, well, God is in charge of all these sort of things and uh, what's bad that's, that's happening in my life, but I'm a good person, so I don't deserve this. Do you see this? This, this? this whole thing is backwards. Now, this, all of this that I've been talking about and leading up to here, this is what the Lord attacks in us in this parable today. He's attacking that in our hearts, that thought, that whole thought process with this one parable. The parable of the laborers in the vineyard, which is also called the parable of the hours because of those who worked different hours. Uh, this parable, though, is a blessing and a warning. It, it, it gives a blessing and a warning, depending on who is hearing it, okay? So this parable is for all people. It is for new and for old Christians. For everyone, it's applicable to all. So <clears throat> in order to talk about the parable, I want you to understand the context. And the context is Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, Jesus says this. He says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. 
But then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. This is in response to the rich young ruler who had a lot of things and Jesus said, go sell everything you have and then come back. And then Peter says, well, well, here, compare us because we have left everything and followed you, Jesus. And then he asked this question, what then will we have? If that man was going to get eternal life, well, then we have, we have left everything. What are we going to get? And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. He said, everyone, that's, that's the word. And then he says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And then he gets into this parable. And then he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house uh, with these laborers. The idea is, uh, Peter's idea here is, if leaving some things will get you the kingdom of heaven, then what about those who have left everything? That is his question. He, his expectation is, look, we have done, we've gone above and beyond what a normal Christian and person is supposed to do. So what does that mean? I should then get more. I, I have more coming to me. More, uh, if I do more works, then I get more blessings, more things. <clears throat> so then you have the parable. And then this is when Jesus says the parable. He says the kingdom of heaven is like this master of a house. He gets some who leave, uh, who come to work in the vineyard in the early morning. Again, the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, the eleventh hour. Those who came in the morning worked for 12 hours from morning to the end of the day. Those at the third hour worked nine hours the rest of the day. Those at the sixth hour worked six hours. Those at the ninth hour worked three hours. Those at the 11th hour worked one hour. So you have all of these people and then you have them all working in the same vineyard, but some have worked 11 hours all the way up to one hour. This is what's going on. And then time, uh, the time comes for them to be paid and then Jesus starts with the, the one who worked one hour and he pays them one denarius, the full day's wage. And those sitting over at the end who worked the, the full 12 hours say what? They say, well, if they got a full day's wage, what do I get? Because I've been here the whole time. And then they see this and when it comes time to pay them, they also receive the day's wage. One, which is fair and just <laughs> and was agreed uh, the, the, the master agreed to give this to them even before he saw the quality of the work or any of the work was done okay uh, but they grumbled and they, they said these only worked one hour you made them equal to us who are up here we did the hard work they didn't it was half it was almost done by the time they walked in and Jesus says this he says the master says I am doing you no wrong Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last as I give to you. And then in English, we have this, <clears throat> this translation here. It says, do you begrudge my generosity? And the Greek is a little bit better. It says, is your eye evil because I am good? Do, do you have a, a stink eye when you look at me because I'm being generous and gracious with these people? Yeah, they don't deserve it. 
but it's mine and I get to give to them as I give to you. So take what's yours and then leave. So then he says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. This is then a warning and a blessing. So this is a warning. This parable is a warning because of this. This is what it's warning you. That your works count for nothing in the kingdom of God. It is a warning. Your works, all of your works that you've done in your life, all the good things you've done, the philanthropic things, all of this counts for nothing. That's what the Lord says. That is the warning to you. And the blessing is that all of your works count for nothing. All of them. Good works are necessary. Yes, they are necessary in the Christian life, but they are not necessary for your salvation. They do not contribute to your salvation. It is the result of your salvation. Good works don't cause it. They, uh, salvation causes your good works. Being in the vineyard uh, is when we start to do the good works. When you're brought into the church, that's when the good works begin. But they don't, no matter how many you do, no matter how long you've done them for, they don't earn you anything else from God than what he has promised and given to all those uh, who, who are in his vineyard. I, I want to read you uh, some verses of the hymn we sang to, to start with. Uh, hymn 555, Salvation Unto Us Has Come. It says, Salvation unto us has come by God's free grace and favor. Good works cannot avert our doom. They help and they save us never. Faith looks to Jesus Christ alone who did for all the world atone. He is our one redeemer. And then look at verses five and six. It says, yet as the law must be fulfilled or we must die despairing, Christ came and has God's anger stilled our human nature sharing. He has for us the law obeyed and thus the father's vengeance stayed, which over us impended. And so since Christ has full atonement made and brought to us salvation, each Christian therefore may be glad and build on this foundation. Your grace alone, dear Lord, I plead. Your death is now my life indeed, for you have paid my ransom. And then here's verse 9 that talks about works again. It says, faith clings to Jesus' cross alone and rests in him unceasing and by its fruits, true faith is known with love and hope increasing for faith alone can justify. Works serve our neighbor and supply the proof that faith is living. So the point here is that you're saved by grace alone, regardless of your life, your works, your contributions, regardless of your sin or your guilt or your conduct, God pays you with more than silver and gold. He pays you with the precious blood of your dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He pays you with his dear son by giving you his life. He gives you all of his righteousness and he agreed to give this to you before you lifted a finger, before you did anything in his vineyard. He gave you all of this. He gives the same to Jews and to Gentiles, all who call upon him in, in his name. He gives the same to good and to bad, to, to lifelong Lutherans, uh, even to martyrs. He gives the same to them as he gives even to infants and little babies who do nothing, who contribute nothing. They give nothing. And yet the Lord gives them everything. That we're saved by grace through faith alone. 
The main point is this, that the gospel concerns those that are of the opinion that they are before God the first or the last in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, whatever opinion you have of yourself, this parable is for you. If you think highly or lowly of yourself in the church or in the kingdom of God, then you ought to take and learn something here today. So, on the one hand, if you consider yourself first, if you consider yourself first in the church or the kingdom of God on account of your works and what you've done, that you've had a long and good life, that you have great accomplishments, that you have given great donations, many of uh, what you have, many, many possessions of what you have, uh, much offering, if you've volunteered much, given much time, if you have a clean record and good works and you think and you consider yourself first in the kingdom of God and in the church because of this, then the Lord says, you will be last. And on the other hand, if you consider yourself least and last, on account of your few works, on the little accomplishments you've done, on the little donation that you've given, the little offering, the little time that you have given. The, if, if you consider yourself and see only the poverty of your own condition, and you see yourself as least and last in the congregation, in the kingdom of God, how little you deserve, that you deserve nothing, from God or from the church or anything, then you, dear saints, will be first in the kingdom of heaven. This is the way the Lord's kingdom works. This is what it is. So, dear saints, it is true that some have done more in every church, in every place, in every time. Some have done more, some have done less. Some have done great things, some have done small things. But the Lord gives not according to our worthiness or unworthiness. He gives only by grace. He gives his forgiveness of sins fully and completely to each and every one apart from their works. God does not owe you or anyone anything for what you've done. Nothing. He doesn't owe you anything. It is in fact all a gift by grace alone without merit or worthiness in you. Christ gives equally himself to all. He gives everyone the same. He gives him all of the salvation, all of his righteousness, all of his forgiveness and all of heaven. So when you fall into sin, don't ever despair. Don't ever lose hope or lose faith in Christ. Don't ever run away from the church, no matter what is going on. You go, in fact, to the church and you see that he gives you the same thing that he gave you before and he will do it again and again and again, regardless of your works, because he gives you by grace alone. May this faith be strengthened in you, that as you look to the wounds of Christ, you know that he has given himself completely, wholly to you, and that that is then the confidence for your salvation. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.